My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a jar of water. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. The disciples then went off, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. While they were eating, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, and they all drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which will be shed for many. Amen, I say to you, I shall not drink again the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The Gospel of the Lord. Around 1949, when the Communist Party came to power in China, one of the first ways they began their campaign of fear and oppression on the people was with an assault on the Catholic Christians. On this particular day, without warning, soldiers arrived at a local Catholic school where they announced to the shocked children and adults this drastic change that was being implemented immediately. They ripped crucifixes off the wall, removed holy pictures and statues, and at gunpoint ordered the children to dump all these religious articles into the toilets. The children tried to resist, but the intimidation forced them all to reluctantly give in. All except this one 13-year-old girl who sat in the back of her classroom, hands folded, lips tightly shut, unmoving. A guard shouted and cursed at her, shot off his gun, shattering glass, causing the children to scream as he demanded this renegade to take one of the statues and desecrate it as they had ordered. She tried to remain silent and still as a tear ran down her cheek. At that, the guard demanded that some of the other soldiers go get this young girl's father and the rest of the townspeople and to bring them into the church where they would address everyone, including the pastor of the parish. 
As the church filled with people, the little girl's father was ushered in with his hands bound behind his back and placed to the right of the communion rail. And the girl was dragged to the communion rail as well. At which point, one of the communist officials began to shout and denigrate the people and mock their belief in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist as he pointed at the tabernacle. He called them stupid, weak-minded people who were being manipulated into believing a lie that God exists and that he was present in the Eucharistic host in that tabernacle. And to prove his point, he ordered the gang of soldiers to stomp on Eucharistic hosts with their boots to show nothing would happen. His argument, if God exists and is all-powerful and is present in those Eucharistic hosts, then obviously he would not allow that blasphemy to himself to take place. So the soldiers rushed to the tabernacle, forced it open with their revolvers as the crowd watched in horror. The official seized the ciborium, the container that holds the Eucharist, took the lid off and scattered the hosts all on the sanctuary floor. At that, he ordered the soldiers to go and step on the hosts, which they did without any hesitation. Do you still believe in those fairy tales your priest told you, he yelled as he turned to the young girl's father. As the father said yes, he was hauled away, never to be seen again. Another official arrived on the scene who then ordered the crowd to be dismissed and notified them that the church would be shuttered and people were forbidden from ever entering it and that the priest would be confined in this coal bin, which was right in the body of the church, but situated in a way that now the priest could view his shuttered, empty, silent church that had been defiled. He could see the consecrated host that had been desecrated still lying on the floor. Hours, days passed, and the priest started to lose sense of time, never sure what horrors awaited him next, when one morning he heard the door of the church open. And as he peered into the church, he saw the little girl who days earlier had been so defiant to those aggressive soldiers returning by herself. She went into the sanctuary where the Blessed Sacrament had remained poured out on the floor, knelt down, made the sign of the cross, received one of those hosts, and prayed in silence, and then quietly left. Next day happened again, and the next day, and then the day after that. The brave girl started to make this daily pilgrimage, not realizing how she was not only spiritually nourishing herself, but providing comfort and strength to the incarcerated priest who watched in fear for her safety, as well in awe of her bold faith in Jesus and her defiance against this atheistic regime as she risked being caught by the authorities. A month later, there was a single host remaining and there she was once again in her daily ritual. As she leaned down to receive Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity one last time, she ended up making a slight noise 
which caused the guard to hear her. And with that, the church doors burst open. Moments later, the priest heard a gunshot and the body of the young girl falling to the floor. What this young martyr did would have made no sense at all if the Eucharist was just a piece of bread or just a symbol. She understood in her innermost being the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. The fact that at Mass, as the priest dares to utter Jesus' words of consecration, that the Holy Spirit is present and the bread and wine are changed into Christ's body and blood. It was this truth that drove her to protect Jesus in the Eucharist from further desecration. Every year, as the Easter season winds down on Pentecost, we have these two extra feasts on the Sundays that follow them. Last Sunday, we celebrated Trinity Sunday, and now today, we celebrate Corpus Christi, the most holy body and blood of Jesus. And in one sense, people might argue, why do we need a separate feast for something we receive every day at Mass? Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity is made real and present every single day, oftentimes multiple times each day on this altar. He remains ever-present in our tabernacle every moment of every day. And in truth, there's no greater act that can celebrate the gift of the Eucharist in that it is given, it's received, and then in turn, we give ourselves to Christ as we get caught up in this mystery of our faith. The feast adds nothing to Jesus' greatness. He doesn't need this feast. We do. The church gives us Corpus Christi to help emphasize the tremendous gift that sadly can lose its importance. Lose its importance not in the gift itself, but in the hearts and minds of believers. Whether that's because we're so distracted or allowed ourselves to become so distracted, we've not been better educated about the sacrament, or we've lost somehow the, the reverence for this. We've become too casual, treating this heavenly gift as ordinary, seeing Mass as simply routine. Whatever the reason that the Eucharist has too, in too many of our lives been diminished, Corpus Christi is meant to reawaken what is meant to be central to our lives as Catholic Christians, for us to pause, to reflect, to get lost in the mystery and the awe, the, the preciousness of what happens here, the goodness of our God who comes to us. And just think about how he comes. The gospel we just heard recounts Jesus' Last Supper, the night before he knows is gonna be filled with abject failure, with torture, with death. Interesting, isn't it, that this is not something Jesus initiates after Easter, when he's risen from the dead, when he's triumphant. It's before that eternal victory. In that, Jesus wants to encounter us in a very deeply personal way, as if Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, 
Have you experienced humiliation? Have you ever felt alone or abandoned? Are you in pain or suffering? Does it seem like the world is closing in on you? That evil's triumphing? That faith, hope, and love are fleeting? That death has the final word? See in this host my most holy body, blood, soul, and divinity. See the one who was humiliated, the one who was alone and abandoned, the one who endured unimaginable pain and suffering, the one who had the world close in on the cross where evil was on the march and death triumphed, or so it thought, for a moment. See in the host the only one who conquered all that and experienced new, resurrected, risen life. See that present in the host. See and receive that gift. Be nourished and transformed by that gift. Let yourself become a living tabernacle. Go forth from this place and share this good news in our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces. The joy that comes from recognizing God truly remains with us. That's one of the reasons we do a Eucharistic procession on Corpus Christi is to do just that literally and figuratively. Can we hear his voice speaking these truths to us? Do we recognize the importance of receiving him and how that's not just about showing up and being present but knowing the need that we have to go to confession so that we're in a state of grace to properly welcome him in as weak and imperfect as we are and then being willing to witness to the difference that he makes in our lives to the world to revere the sacredness of the host that we receive and remains present in our tabernacle here. The witness of that nameless young Chinese martyr was so powerful that immediately after she was shot and killed, the soldier released the priest from his confinement, telling him he was free to go. So he ran and knelt down at her lifeless body. And the soldier who had just killed her said, Sir, if in every town there was such a little girl, no soldier would ever fight for the communists. Which was a strange but accurate observation for this cold-blooded murderer. It said that Archbishop Fulton Sheen, when he first heard this story, made a vow that for the rest of his life, he would make a holy hour. He would spend an hour a day with Jesus in the Blessed Sacraments before his tabernacle. And the effect which animated his life in profound ways that, please God, he will be beatified soon. Can this girl's witness help reawaken our spiritual senses to what we're privileged to receive this very day? Will this Corpus Christi be the day that we recognize anew the immense love of God who wants to be near and close to us so much that he remains this accessible? Can we meet him in our vulnerability and dare to ask him to meet us in ours, to bring to him our illnesses, revealing the darkness we hide within, 
and ask him to unleash his real presence in our lives to guide, comfort, heal, and strengthen us. Jesus is calling us to let him do that for us. A few years ago, a book of what was private revelations from Jesus to this priest who remains anonymous to this day was published. And it's been this true blessing and challenge in my own prayer life to to read these words of our Lord speaking about his presence in the Eucharist. And one of those reflections, Jesus said, looking at the host, my true body, the world sees nothing, no action, no usefulness, no message, no significance. Looking at the same host with the eyes of faith, What do you see? Do you not see, however faintly and obscurely, what the Father and angelic hosts see? The Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world, the very work of redemption unfolding, the glory of my face filling the universe with the radiance of my divinity, the one face that all the world desires to see.